You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Season 2, new intro, let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love her. 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 Brown skin. Love a brown skin, love a brown skin, my brown skin. Love a brown skin, hold me down. Brown skin, love a brown skin. Mm, I love that song. Hot intro once again by Lakashaw. Remind you, he has a lot more music and so DC artists. Shout out to Dream Out Loud. You can find Lakashaw anywhere on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Lakashaw. So let's get into the show. As you can tell, I'm always excited, but I got a different energy in the show right now. You know why? Because tomorrow is May 19th. Tomorrow is May 20th. You know what that day is? Do you know what that day is? I know I can't sing. But that day is the day of Remember Your Genius Again. My second book, The Book Launch, in my hometown, Durham, North Carolina. So, podcast, Minority Trailblazer Nation, please, please keep me in your prayers. And thank you so, so much for those who have already purchased the book. You can find more information at greggyhill.com backslash book. Enough of the shameless plug. Let's get into the show. Man, I'm pumped. I'm seriously pumped. This episode is a game changer. She drops so many jewels. She's so knowledgeable. Her story is so deep. Like, ooh. Like, I'm pumped. I really am. I really am. I really am. So I'm going to start, give her a short intro, and I'm just going to let her do all the heavy work. And side note, quick side note, if you're listening via iTunes and this is more than your first episode, please make sure you leave a review. It only takes around three minutes. It's a bit hard to do, but make sure you leave a review. And if you're listening via SoundCloud or Google Play, please make sure you follow the podcast and share it with a friend. We've already surpassed 35,000 downloads. It's phenomenal. It's crazy just because of you. So please continue to share this message with your friends, your family, anybody that wants to hear it. Because, man, um, it's just it's just amazing. And also, please keep on your radar. November 11th to 13th, 2016 in Durham, North Carolina, we will be hosting the first ever Minority Trailblazer podcast. My bad. First ever Minority Trailblazer Summit. More details will be coming in the next few months. Thank you. Shout out to Megan, Brittany Jones, Ashley Shessens for sending me emails, texts, and calls to get on the waiting list and to get the early bird discounts and specials. So make sure you reach out if you want more information before beforehand. Also, please, and I will be releasing an update on this form. I will have a form online on the website, greggyhill.com. Where you can submit nominations for people to be on the podcast. Because every day people say, hey, how do we get on the podcast? How do you choose? And I want to make sure that I put something out there so people can request others. And you can request yourself if you have a business, a story, or a journey you would like to share to the masses. So thank you so much for that. Let me get into the show. So it's crazy how we met. Um, I was I was doing a, a, a walkthrough of American Underground. That's a, a place, a co-working space, huge co-working space in Durham, North Carolina. And I was walking by and the guy said, you have a podcast, right? You need to check out over there that invested company because a young lady by the name of Isa, she's doing some amazing things. She has an amazing story. I think she'd be great for your podcast. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then I, but you know me, I'm a follow-up king. So as soon as I went home, like as soon as I got in the car, I Googled, I said, Isa, watch, invested. And I looked at the company. I said, oh, this is, this is a deep idea. Then looked at her story. And I was like, whoa, whoa. She she just jumped out the box. I mean, she graduated from Hampton University. Some may call it a real HU. I don't know how, how it feels about that. <laughs> she got an MS degree at Cornell University. That's when she went on to Pfizer. And she did a lot of, and, and like I, the first run through the podcast, I botched a lot of the stuff she did. I can't pronounce all those those drug names that she helped concoct and whatnot, but she did that. Then she made a pivot. She went and got her MBA at MIT, so she's obviously a genius out here. <laughs> and she'll share more about that in her story. 
And then she went on to become the vice president of strategy at JP Morgan, where she worked at, where she traveled and worked in the Hong Kong office as well as the New York office. And um, I ain't going to let the cat out of the bag. Actually, no, I'm going to let it out of the bag. She made a lot of money. I'm talking about the quarter million. I mean, put it back. A lot of money, but also was doing a lot of great things. And then some things happened in her life, which caused her to change course and eventually found the company invested. And I'm going to let her talk about what transpired in her life and, and what invested really means. But I will say invested is one of the companies where I believe is going to change the face of philanthropy, especially how us millennials donate to organizations and nonprofits that are directly around us. Because honestly, a lot of the top nonprofits in the world receive I'm not going to throw out any percentages because I haven't researched it. But see, I, I mean, stuff I looked at over 90% of the funding. But then there's struggling nonprofits that are maybe a neighborhood away, a couple miles away, that need your help, need your volunteer, need your support, but awfully, all, honestly go unnoticed. So this is kind of like a social platform for funding nonprofits and funding other communities. And I'm a, she can talk to it way better than I can. And that's why I'm excited for her to bring on the podcast. And I'm please, please, please. Take note of what's going on, her, her words of wisdom, as well as this company invested, because I think it is the future for, for donating, for investing in. I love the mission and what it's for. And you already know we always bring real stories in this podcast, and she has a real story to tell, and I know y'all can relate. So without further ado, let me dial up the energy. Without further ado, I would like to introduce this black queen. <laughs> This boss, this engineer, I mean, she's been featured on Fast Company, been featured on all the mags. She is on them because she's out here killing the game from the jump. And hopefully she can encourage and empower you, whatever you're doing in life, in business or whatever, how to get a fast start and do what you need to do to take your life and everything to the next level, man. So without further ado, let's introduce Isa Watson, CEO, founder of Invested to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, I'm excited. I'm looking at his background. I'm like, this is this is, just don't even make sense. I'm seeing finance, high finance. I'm seeing chemistry. I'm seeing nonprofits. So I can't wait to delve into this story because I'm like, goodness gracious. So as, as everybody know, if you're, you've logged on, if you've heard Minority Trailblazer podcast, this show is broke up, broken up into three sections. The first section is the past, kind of give context to our guest and, and their story. The second section is the present. So what do they do present day? What does their day look like? What is their business actually doing? What impact are they making? And the third part, and we will talk about the future, because I'm a big promoter of the future. I'm a big proponent of planning and achieving your long-term goals. So let's jump right into it. Every show, I start off with a quote, and I have my, my guests share a quote and a story that aligns with that quote. So, Miss Isa, can you take us away? Give us your favorite quote and a story. Ah, man. Um, thank you so much for that introduction, Greg. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I would say that one of my favorite quotes came from Pablo Picasso. Mm -hmm. And he said that the meaning of your life is to find your gift and the purpose of your life is to, to give it away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really interesting coming up, even as a kid, I just loved math and science. That was just my thing. Um, worked really hard in the field, but always wanted to make a difference. So the first kind of, you know, pathway I took was, well, let me, you know, add to the field of medicine, you know, give this gift away. And, and I, you know, was a research chemist at, at Pfizer, um, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and did a lot of work there. But I just wanted to get much closer to the impact. Medicine, you know, synthetic drugs to, to, to market is 20 years. Um, and so I, I went to business school at MIT to to get my um, MBA, mm -hmm. and um, then I really focused on kind of building up my skills, and I was doing a lot of things that were very impactful from building retirement products for large, for millions of people to um, devising business banking strategies, you know, think of all the small business owners in the U.S. that bank with Chase. Mm -hmm. And so when I thought about, you know, wow, I, I've been able to like kind of give it away in like pieces, bits and pieces, and but I've built up all these great skills from pharma, from finance. I said, well, how do I just like take that and, and, and just go and just explode on the impact, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I said, 
wow, the local communities really need us. They really, you know, struggle with fundraising with the right kind of level of empowerment and support. Um, so I said, you know, I left JP Morgan to start Invested, uh, which is a social network giving platform and creates local marketplaces for non local nonprofits that have needs and, and the community. And so, um, you know, just translating all those skills to, to drive impact in, in local community. We started in Raleigh, Durham, and it will be expanding to other key markets soon. But, you know, you know what Picasso said about, you know, giving the gifts away, I, I feel like I was really blessed and, and, you know, coming up, you know, mm -hmm. with great blessings comes great responsibility. And now I'm just really excited and looking forward to, you know, continuing to take invested you know, through the ranks of impacting local communities, you know, over and over and over again. Oh man, that's that's powerful, and I I love that explode on the impact like that. Oh man, I'm, I love that terminology. I gotta start I gotta start using the word explode more. Like, what are you? I'm an explosive speaker. Like, I'm not a motivational. I love that. I got I got that. I got that. So, before we kind of um dig into investing and whatnot i want to kind of take a step back before pfizer before before hampton can you tell us a little bit about your your, your childhood and your journey to get to before hampton and so you can give a little context to our listeners that um like once we get into it i mean you've done some heavy stuff and you're in in, in, a, in a whole different arena but i really want to paint paint this picture a little better so can you tell us about kind of where you grew up in your background yeah so I was born in Washington, D.C., but moved to North Carolina pretty early on because uh, my dad was a computer engineer mm -hmm. um, and researched Triangle Park. And it was really interesting. I'm one of six kids, which oh, wow. a lot of people really surprised me because that's a lot of kids, right? <laughs> that's mm -hmm. a lot of dinner you got to cook. But essentially, you know, I, I grew up in a very values-oriented household. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents always focused on and, and instilled in us, like, the value of hard work and the importance of doing the right. And on the hard work perspective, my friends used to make fun of me growing up because, you know, my dad, immigrant from the British West Indies, um, mm -hmm. you know, came here for his education. He used to make me get up at 5 o'clock every single morning just to study. Wow. I'm like, but dad, I don't have an exam. You know, he's like, it doesn't matter. Like, you can't not be on your P's and Q's just because someone isn't monitoring your success at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, just kind of hard work through the ranks. Um, and, you know, my parents were very big givers and, you know, just really immersed in the community. Um, like I said, my dad was from the British West Indies. My mom grew up as a tobacco farmer in Carolina. So they wow. both came from very modest backgrounds, yes. Um, and just made, worked so hard to make a living for themselves. They, they're both college educated. Mm -hmm. And they, even though, you know, we didn't have the same background that they had, they never let us feel like we didn't have to work hard to get what we wanted. So nothing was a given. Um, <laughs> hard work was just the foundation of everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my dad, like I said, he was a computer engineer. So I kind of latched on to that, that whole engineering kind of science background. My dad, instead of buying me computers, he would buy the parts of the computer and make me build it. You know, he said, 5 a.m., buying you parts of computers. Goodness gracious. Okay, I got it, I got it. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, my dad came to the U.S. Um, a, a, on a band scholarship to Hampton University. Wow. Um, he was in the drum line and was very involved with the, the Hampton University alumni community, was president of the Durham Chapel Hill alumni chapter. So I was always a part of the Hampton family from the time I was born. And, you know, Hampton was the, the choice that I made to, to go to college, just, you know, to continue on the legacy. And it was just such a great institution. So, you know, that was pretty much me before, before Hampton. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just gonna jump jump right into to, to the to the meat of your your personal background because I just want to fill in some gaps. So, okay, you graduate from you graduate from Hampton, you go to Cornell, and then you go to Pfizer. So, what triggered in in, in your thought or your life to from jumping from Pfizer to J.P. Morgan Chase? Because I mean, a lot of people in, in the chemistry. I mean, I met I meet a lot of chemists. I used to work for Johnson and Johnson. They were not cut out for this finance, <laughs> high finance place. So, what drove you first to make that first leap into from 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 uh, for Pfizer to J.P. Morgan? You know, it's, it's really interesting, Greg. It was such, you know, it was a high level 
strategic slash not emotional but desire to make impact type of decision. So, you know, as a research chemist, what I was doing was synthesizing candidates, glucokinase activators um, for diabetes treatment. So, you know, if you put the nitrogen on, on carbon one or carbon three or carbon four, which has the greatest yield, and we hand this off to the biologist. But when you're when you're at that place, mind you, it was such a great experience. You know, I had a great experience at Pfizer. Um, but when you're at that place, you're you're literally 20 years removed from the impact because it takes a drug about 20 years. <laughs> That's crazy. Two decades. I know. It was like I was going to be retired by the time anything I did like impacted people. <laughs> um, and so I said, man, I really want to get closer to the impact. And I'm seeing that the business people in the, in the, in the you know, company are making a lot of the really important kind of direct consumer decisions. So I said, all right, let me layer on this chemistry training with an MBA. So I went to MIT and it was really interesting. I said, Oh, you went to okay. You went to MIT to transition, so you didn't jump from um, Pfizer to JP to MIT. Okay, I got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. I went from Pfizer to MIT to JP Morgan. Mm -hmm. oh, um, but the idea behind it, though, Greg, was how do I build the skills and impact as many people as possible? And you know, financial services it. It's a it's a really diverse industry, but it's an industry that touches everybody, mm -hmm. every single person. Um, so I said, well, that sounds like a really broad, you know, experience, and you know, I can get in there and find a niche where I can have you know positive impact on millions of people, mm -hmm. um, and leverage you know analytics and and you know problem solving, complex problem solving to do it. And so that was you know how I made that transition. Okay, and then. You briefly speak about your decision to go to to MIT because I, I read about it online. But MIT going from Hampton, then going to Cornell, then to go to MTB. Why MIT? Because I know there's a lot of schools out there that that that, that have finance backgrounds as Wharton. There's a lot of other schools. So why specifically MIT? And what did that experience in, in your mind allow you to do? You know, it's really interesting, um, Greg. You're right. There's so many great schools out there, and you know. Because I had worked hard, you know, I was, you know, fortunate to have gained admission to a number of schools. Mm -hmm. But the thing I loved about MIT was the combination of absolute genius plus absolute humility. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I didn't see that in just some of the other places that I was looking. And so, you know, it just is so much resonated with me because my parents were like, yes, you work hard. Yes, you are achieving a lot, but you 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 better remain humble. You need to know where you came, where you came from, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, don't ever forget that. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I think about that combination, that combination was pretty much nailed at every, at every with every single student that, that walked the halls um, of MIT Sloan. And so, you know, it's, it, going there is as open, you know, lots of doors. It was such a great experience, very academically rigorous. And I would say out of a lot of the top schools, mm -hmm. they, they, they have such a great support system. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, for instance, you know, during school, during my last semester in school, I experienced a personal tragedy with my father passing away um, after sponsoring a bus trip for kids to visit college and you know the bus ran off the road ejected both my parents and mm -hmm. MIT the whole administration all the students they sent me cars they sent me food to my house to make sure I was eating mm -hmm. you know they would text me are you eating are you drinking do we need to send bottles of water now like wow. I, I mean I had these delicious chicken pot pies and I didn't and they just like took care of everything for me and so mm -hmm. you know when you think about you know Hampton family mm -hmm. Right in the way that they are a family, MIT is a is a very strong family as well. Oh man, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And um, I I would be remiss if I didn't address it because I mean it wouldn't uh it wouldn't make sense for me to address it later in the show. But can you can you briefly speak because this is not the point of the show? But can you briefly speak on um, what that means to you to have uh, somebody that that was of course he, he's a father, your father and six children to have him kind of pass away and then kind of what that went to you and then what that kind of did anything change after that as far as you personally I think there there, there was something that changed um, you know I, I miss my dad I think about my dad every single day I was very close to my dad and he was you know probably my biggest fan and the person that pushed me and supported me you know unconditionally 
But, you know, when that happened, it just made me realize that life is short. And I think that a lot of times, especially a lot of very well-educated people, they plan like 10 years in advance. I'm going to do this role for three years, and then I'm going to transition to that role for two years, and then I'm going to spend a year and a half there, and then the rest of the five years, you know, X, Y, Z. And that experience, <laughs> and, I, and I was guilty of that too. So, um, <laughs> but that made me realize, wow, I may not have as much time as I think this is life things happen, so I just need to get on with doing as much as I can every day and living every day to the fullest um, and having as much impact literally every day that I can because tomorrow isn't promised. Mm, wow, that's powerful, that's powerful. And I guess, because I always ask every 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 uh, member to guess um, this question, but I definitely think um, you already answered it. Would, that, would you say that was one of the lowest points of, of your journey thus far? Yeah, it was a very difficult point in my journey. Um, and it, it was just, it's really shocking. And I don't wish that experience on anyone. And I know that there are other people that have gone through similar experiences. But it's, it's really traumatic. I mean, he had just run a 5K um, like two weeks before. Mm-hmm. And like 75% of the time that it takes me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, it was, it it really just made me kind of, just sit down, Greg, and just reflect and absorb my experiences and figure out how it is that I wanted to continue to charge through life. Man, yeah, that's that's that reflect piece. I think a lot of because especially for the viewers that are listening and whatnot. I know this may sound bad, but that reflection piece is very is very very key because I mean um, I was at a conference at uh, at Duke School of Business two weeks ago and um, a, 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 the presenter shared about a story of a young lady. She was committed. She was driven. She had a nonprofit. She had a great job in corporate America as well. She was 27. She just started um, her her MBA school at I think uh, Chicago, then Booth School of Business, and she had a brain aneurysm at 27 and died. And the crazy the crazy thing about it, because the presenter, what he did, he was showing all this good stuff, and he just had he didn't have Hadley, but he just threw this into the presentation, and everybody was like, "What?" But I mean, it really does. Like if you really if you just take everything one day at a time and not get of course you got to plan for the future we're not i'm not saying that i know you're not saying that as well but you have to be all all in in the present and i'm I'm glad you brought that out so i will say before i kind of get into the present day i did i would be remiss if i didn't speak on the importance or i guess I'll, i'll wait till we get into invested because uh a lot of people, and I see a lot of young entrepreneurs saying they don't want to get an MBA, they don't need it, school is unnecessary anywhere. And and I always say, that's I don't I don't I don't think that because I mean, I, and especially once we kind of get to your strategic moves that you've made with invested, you can kind of speak on that and how it opened up a lot because you're a naturally smart smart woman already, and you had a great background, but it opened up the doors, put you at places that you wouldn't have been able to get in. And I definitely uh, want to talk to that, but. To segue into that, I would say as we leave the personal background, and I'm a, and I, I wouldn't usually share this, but it's public knowledge. It was online, right? So I saw that you didn't you didn't just leave just a job at, in high finance. I mean, I read online it was two hundred fifty thousand dollars or some quarter of a million, whatever. I'm not gonna get to the specifics, <laughs> but and you left and started investing. So jumping into the present day, what was really the turning point to make that? That's a drastic decision. Just not just a regular, because I mean, when I left my first corporate gigs, I was only making like sixty racks a year, so I can be like, okay, cool, I can make that. <laughs> but that's a quarter mil right there. You you probably not even thirty five, thirty. Like, what what was it like as we transition into the present present day? What was that key moment where you said, okay, let me shift my whole focus? You know, it's, it's really funny. Um, I wouldn't even say it was almost like one key moment mm-hmm. it happened over a period of time it was and you know i'll be the first to admit i was really fortunate in the roles that i had i had a, a big responsibilities you know i had a team out and i had a great experience but you know i had gotten to a point where i had gained such a such a wealth of skills mm-hmm. um and i had a moment to to kind of look back and even in discussions with my mentors and say okay now let's let's talk about my greater purpose in life here. You know, I, I built these skills. 
let's talk about the greater purpose and what I want to do. And I actually had mentors externally encouraging me to take a moment and sit down and reflect. And so let's call that, um, you know, two to three months before I actually mm -hmm. left. Mm -hmm. And I started to, to kind of think about different ideas that I had and how they could be, you know, well executed. And, um, it happened slowly, like the ideation of investing. It happened slowly. It was very iterative. I had a, I was, I had a lot of sponsors and mentors, mm -hmm. um, you know, outside of the firm that were helping me, give me feedback. And then, by the time I just reached a point, let's call it two weeks before I left, mm -hmm. I reached a point, Greg, where my mentors, who, like I said, I'm very fortunate to have some really, really powerful ones. They said, "All right, Isa, like." Now is the time where you just got to take it and run with it or you got to let it go and continue to do your job. Mm -hmm. And if you take it and run with it, do know that we are not going to let you fall. Like we have your back. Even if the product didn't work out the exact way that you wanted it to, we'll find, we'll find something for you. You'll be okay. But if you don't do this now with your passion, with your skills, with the window of opportunity, you're going to regret it. And so I put in my notice and it was really funny the response I got from people. You know, they, some of them were like, are, are you okay? Like, do you need to go see somebody? Are you sick? Are you ill? You know, <laughs> that's something that was wrong with me that I was walking away from, you know, a big job. But I think it was just really like a burning passion inside of me combined with the fact that I had so much support mm -hmm. to really kind of pursue this. Wow, wow. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question because I know a lot of people out here listening, like, where do you find that kind of support? Like, so if you could boil it down to one or maybe two key things on how in your career you have been able to instill such confidence in your mentors and your sponsors that they would be so supportive because we have a lot of young people that's listening. They have all these ideas. They have plans. A lot of them even working on it right now. But, A, they don't have mentors. They don't have older people or sponsors to support them so if they're listening to this what would you tell those people that, that that are in search of mentors in search for support like what would you tell them some things that they need to do on their end to kind of instill that or is it that simple i mean i do think that for me it has boiled down to a few things the first thing i would say is that i work incredibly hard mm -hmm. like whatever you give me as an assignment i'm going to deliver 250 percent mm -hmm. So that's number one. And so it was really interesting. I, I've had people watch me from afar. And a lot of times what people don't realize is that people are watching you before you even know they exist. We had this term in one of my um, you know, previous careers that your reputation precedes you. Mm -hmm. Right, so it was it. You know, after a while, it became super easy for me to get on like very senior people's calendars and you know make contact and build relationships because they they knew my work product was very strong. I think that's the first one. Um, the second thing is that I'm people have given me feedback that they're I'm a very genuine and authentic person. Mm -hmm. um, I don't kind of come to them with you know. A lack of authenticity, right? I'm just myself. Mm -hmm. And they that's attractive to them because they want to coach people who are themselves. You know, it kind of breaks down the trust barriers and the transparency barriers. Um, and so I think that makes people attractive as just human beings to, to help and to be involved with. But I would say the third thing, and the third thing that I've heard consistently from many of my mentors, um, especially because a lot of people don't have time um, a lot of free time and so when they do give you when you are afforded a piece of their schedule they want to feel that it's been valuable to them and what makes them feel valuable is that they've added value to you and so my mentors have given me feedback that my ability to take their feedback and execute it so well um, has you know been so critical for them to continue mentoring me and, and, you know, building that relationship even further. And I'll, I'll be the first to say I'm, I'm not a perfect person. I, I will never be a perfect person. And my mentors are usually the first to call me out. You know, this, this wasn't the right approach. This wasn't the right strategy. You know, this wasn't the right turn to make. And, you know, we've, we've always had candid conversations about, okay, that's interesting. How do I correct that? You know, correct that, never make the same mistake again. And so they always see me growing. 
-hmm. And that to them is really fulfilling. And so, you know, just to recap, I would say hard work is the first one. Like you, people just need to work their butts off. You know, Mm -hmm. nothing's granted these days. Um, You know, the second thing is just being genuine yourself and and authentic. Um, And I think that is, you know, also very important for people of minority cultures because a lot of times we get into these predominantly white environments and we feel that we have to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I was myself and, you know, my mentors span all races and genders and they they all, you know, responded to me the same. And the third is being able to listen, 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 and take and implement the feedback and report back to your mentors. They want to hear, you know, like I said, that they've added value. Wow, that's a lot of jewels. I really got add nothing out of that. That was that was amazing. And I guess the one thing I would say is not having race specific mentors. I think there's a lot of time in my career where I hit a ceiling where I've only looked for people that look like me to mentor. And sometimes that's not even the best route to go. So once <laughs> I kind of opened up my brain and said, "Yo, there's other people out here, Greg," I was able to get a lot more headway, and even in in, in in industry. So I think that's a critical piece. But all right, let's transition. All right, present day, present day. You briefly talked about invested, and I hear it's a social platform, and correct me, a social platform that that encourages giving away. So, you break down what invested is in um, the necessity, like why you feel it was a necessity to bring this to market and to really put all your time, your energy, your focus, and everything into this. Yeah. So, um, invested and just wanted to clarify for the for the listeners e n v e s t e d so like engaged investing was kind of the genesis of the name mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a social network giving platform that facilitates connectivity in local communities mm-hmm. and so what that means is that we've created a marketplace for local nonprofits to state their needs and for people in the community to respond to them. And why we did that, Greg, the the Urban Institute reports that Mm -hmm. the top 1% of nonprofits in the US receive 87% of all financial resources in the industry. Oh man, that's crazy. So way worse than the 80-20 rule. (laughs) (laughs) Way, 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 way. Um, And so it was really, so a lot of the local nonprofits were really, you know, struggling to to capture support, to capture new donors, to capture millennial donors who behave and who engage in a totally different way than what they're used to. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing about going local is that we, um, another thing about going local is that the trust and transparency aspect is huge for the millennials. Mm -hmm. Um, So it feels more meaningful when you have, when you're, you know, donating to a literacy center that's literally in your backyard that's helping a child in the neighborhood next door Mm -hmm. versus you know a larger you know national international organization Mm -hmm. not to say that they don't do good work they they do good work i'm not speaking against them i'm just responding to the desire that millennials have had to really impact you know their local communities um and so what we've done is we've created a local marketplace so you have users um and you have nonprofits. And the users, they they engage socially. So you'll see a news feed of what people have given, not what, not what people have given, but things people have given to, not mm-hmm. the amounts. Um, when you first log in, people can interact with each other. You have groups where you can comment. You can have a public group, a private group. Um, you you're a member, You can have a private group for your line of your fraternity, or you can have a public group, North Carolina Supporters of Childhood Literacy. Um, and then you have the nonprofits that are stating specific needs. I'll give you an example. Mills and Wills of Durham. They've said, hey, we need $1,200 to add fruit to the weekend mills for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you think about, you know, specifics. Yeah, that's what you need. For the like, transparency. It's, yeah, it's not bland out there. We just need $1,200. Please help us. It's more so three months. We're adding fruit to the weekend menu. Boom. Wow. Exactly. Um, and the idea behind Invested is that, you know, like I said, we launched in Raleigh, Durham, but we're replicating this in multiple markets. So every market will have its own marketplace. So if you're if you are a Charlotte user, once we expand to Charlotte, you're going to see only the, the people and the nonprofits that are specific to the Charlotte market. Mm-hmm. Same for Atlanta or San Francisco. When we launched there, those are the those that's the um, that's the activity that you'll see. And it was really interesting. Fast Company did a feature on us um, last month and they the way that they said it 
is that invested is where Venmo meets Kickstarter. Mm. So I thought that was a really simple and powerful way to, to explain it. But that's essentially what invested is. We are really trying to to solve for the desire to engage locally in a convenient way mm. and the desire for for local nonprofits to um, you know kind of expand their donor base and expand their engagement in digital ways. Oh man, that that sounds a freaking phenomenal. And um, <laughs> I guess the, the first question I have is is it available and up now? Yeah, so Invested launched in the Raleigh Durham market last month. So we, we had a we, we launched pretty pretty recently. Um we had a strong launch. We are kind of moving full steam ahead. Mm-hmm. Um and we will be expanding markets later in the year. But it is up and available now. You people can download it on the, the app store. We have an iOS app and also we have a web app. So people can can log in online um, at invested um, and you know create a profile and see what the giving opportunities are. And so, but right now it's just if it, it's really of use to no, it's of use to uh, across the country. But for RDU specifically, right now, as far as the algorithms base and everything else. Yeah, Raleigh Durham right now, um, we have 60 nonprofit partners that are onboarded with us um, as of April. And um, like I said, we'll be expanding through various markets, but you know that's going to be up and down the East Coast and out West. So all your key metro cities, um, you know, we're looking to, to have a presence, but we just have to kind of execute our expansion strategy to get the nonprofits and to get the kind of the users. and. and you know, it's really interesting, Greg. We've been so pleasantly surprised on the nonprofit side of how easy and pleasant they've been to work with. Um, of course, they're bringing actually... the money. They're going to feel like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> actually, you know, we, we actually have on our website mm-hmm. for users and for nonprofits, you know, for nonprofits whose uh, cities we're not in yet, they could input their information and we'll reach out to them when we enter their city. Same for users. For users who were not in their city yet, We'll, we'll populate the information and send them a message when we're, we're activated in their markets. But on the user side, it's really interesting, you know, because from a tech perspective, from a digital perspective, there's so much, you know, demand for people's attention. And so we know we had to bring, you know, we know we had to bring the right strategy to, to the forefront, like, very quickly. And so we do have a, a marketing um you know, a few marketing channels that we target. Um, in the Raleigh-Durham area, you know, we would say those are the colleges, mm-hmm. our community promotional partners, and the nonprofits themselves. So between UNC, Duke, NC State, and Central, there are 80,000 students within like 15, 20 square miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we activated a, a, a campus program for um, students to actually use Invested to promote the nonprofits that they're involved with, um, because the students are so civically engaged, and we are so fortunate to be like in a very kind of great spot for you know very engaged and smart students, um, and so kind of leveraging their energy and, and equipping them with something that was really easy to use and up their wheelhouse um, was something that we have um, also that something that we've done. Um, we also have a, a social media and digital marketing strategy. So we have pretty active um, Facebook and Twitter campaigns. Um, you know, we have um, we've done some stuff with Snapchat as well, and uh, we we actually have launched you know promotional campaigns through our pages, and we've been getting a lot of great engagement from from the community. And then I would say that the last you know. Sh- channel is is you know a combination of our nonprofits themselves and our community promotional partners some of the nonprofits we don't force it on them but some of the nonprofits have said hey we would actually like to you know distribute this to our donor base so that we can make it easier for them to give wow. um, so we can kind of I mean with their thousands of donors that mm-hmm. that's instant access right there and then there are a lot of um, you know community groups whether they be meetups, young professional groups, young nonprofit groups, things of that nature that have said, "Hey, we actually really want to help um, you know promote this because this will resonate with the people that we're involved in in the community." And so those I would say are kind of our three kind of channels. You have the the campuses, the, the social media slash digital, and then you know the community itself with the nonprofits and the the promo partners. Yeah, that sounds wow. And y'all, when when was Invested officially started? Like founded? 
September 2015. Wow, so that's why it's only been seven, seven, eight months? Yeah, I guess. Wow, that's, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. And um, I do I do want to ask as well. So, what is a typical day like for you though? Because I know you start up company eight months out. Yeah, it seems like y'all have a lot of stuff in a in, in 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 specific areas. So, and you're wearing a lot of hats. So, what is a typical day like for you? It's really interesting that you say that. I, I really wish I had a typical day. It would make my life <laughs> much easier. Uh-huh. Um, but I would say that it, we what we've done, we, we there is a lot of chaos in startups. And so what we've done is we really tried to strategically set some things that are you know foundational. Mm-hmm. Like we'll have our team meetings every Monday where we discuss the outcome look on you know the week the look back of the prior week um i have my one-on-ones with everyone on my team during the during the weeks but as far as you know your typical days we have let's say we, we've set you know kind of three key business priorities for invested and we've said that um you know everything that we do should be kind of within those priorities but at the at the end of the day what that ends up meaning is that you know some some days I'm mostly focused on marketing because there's a huge campaign coming up or a huge, um, you know, marketing opportunity that we're looking to partner with. And then other days I've been, you know, really focused on legal. You know, I felt like I've been a lawyer, you know, <laughs> with the terms of use and the, the, the lawyer jargon of our, you know, um, privacy policies and things of that nature. And so I would say that, um, you know, my day is really scattered between the key functions um, of invested and what invested does, um, but I do like to keep you know some things very solid so that we have some consistency um, and and how we operate and that we can kind of work toward you know a very very stable and um, clear organization. Mm, that's 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 powerful, and I guess I would ask too. A lot of people that are listening and tuning in, if they're working, they have nonprofits, they have these business ideas but they are struggling right now with a lack of funding and I, from the information i read you were able to to, to generate a, a large a, a large in perspective i know there's other people that uh, other profits maybe generate millions or whatever but you were able to generate a lot of funding initially for family and friends and maybe other strategies so could you please share with our audience a few things or pointers for for people that have this great idea but are struggling on raising any capital specifically for our people that are that are are in that nonprofit space yeah i would say one of the things greg um that a lot of us and when i say us i mean like african-americans minorities who have come up through the ranks, who are been so praised on merit. One of the things that we we undervalue sometimes is the value of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that you know even throughout the course of my life, there were there were a number of people back home, um, and a number of people just in my kind of immediate networks where. I may not have talked to them for like six months, mm-hmm. but on that month number six, I just dropped them a line and said, hey, by the way, you know, I just want to let you know that I'm living in Hong Kong now. Things are going well. Mm-hmm. I heard, you know, Barbara had a baby. Congrats. You know, <laughs> <laughs> things that are, that are just so simple to kind of stay on people's radar, stay top of mind for people. And so I think that I had done a pretty good job of maintaining relationships over the course of, you know, throughout high school, throughout college, throughout, you know, grad school, beyond, um, that I was able to easily come back to. Because had I not maintained those relationships, it would have been more of a conversation of, okay, well, let's just start at the very beginning. Like, mm-hmm. what are you? You don't trust me as much, you know, things like that. Um, so I would say that, you know, being able, like maintaining those relationships, um, you know, over time, even if you don't need something from someone, just drop them a note and let them know you're you're alive and you still got ten fingers, ten toes, and <laughs> you know, you're doing well. Um, and then I would also say that I really, really treated all of my prospects, even though they were, you know, friends and family, with the utmost level of respect. Like I was going to pitch at, you know, a top 
you know, investment management firm or something. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I broke out like all the analytics. I broke out all the projections. I went to Kinko's and got it bounded and laminated. Oh, so it wasn't like, I, yo, I got this idea. Please invest 5,000. I got, you know me. You, I've been in Pfizer. I've been in Cornell. Yeah. I got an MBA. You got, I got it. They was, no, okay, I got you. <laughs> you treating them like you would treat anybody. Exactly. Um, so I would say those are those are the few things that I think really really helped me in being able to secure um, some initial some initial seed funding for mm. for invested. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for those nuggets. And um, also, please, 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 can you speak on the value of partnerships? Because I see that is a big thing. Of course, when you're you're working with all these nonprofits, and specifically the value of partnerships, and also how in your head in your experience how to tell a good partnership from a bad partnership because all partnerships are not created equally and i just want to kind of um ask your ask your opinion on that because i know a lot of people in business or whatever life is about partnerships in general and a lot of us are flowering and and able to creating partnerships but also choosing the right ones right that's a really really great question um so I would say, yes, we do have a lot of partners. We have nonprofit partners. We have, um, you know, various kind of marketing partners, things of that nature. But I would say first, there is a lot of value when you have the right partnership because, you know, A, you're receiving something, but if it's a good partnership, you're also giving something. Mm-hmm. Um, and B, to your point about your reputation preceding mm-hmm. you, you know, you want to keep a good reputation as a person, but you want your firm, your company, to have a really great reputation as well. And all partners, especially for a community-oriented thing, they will talk about you. They will talk about you in a positive light or a not positive light. But hopefully, you know, you're aiming for the former. Um, and so I think that you know, over time, that ends up being what your reputation is. And so. Like I said, being able to extract the right value and being and leveraging partners to help build the right relationships is important. The other thing is that you know, in in extracting the right value, partners or good partnerships, I think, can you know help add perspective to you and help kind of bring you ideas that you may not have thought mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a scientist by training, and I love collaboration, <laughs> and I always tell people that. A drug can't be made by one person. You know, you got the chemist at the table. You need to have the biologist at the table. You need to have the um, kind of the the manufacturer guys at the table. Um, and so, when it comes to actually making sure you have the right ideas, a lot of times these partners um, they may be launching something and they need someone to partner with, and it may be beneficial to you. And your first, you, you're one of the first people that they think about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that so that relationship is important. But I would say that. The main difference between a good partnership and a bad partnership is that good partnerships are bi-directional. And they're not necessarily bi-directional 100% of the time. But maybe like in the month of May, it was, you know, you were getting a lot of the benefit. Maybe during the month of June, they were getting a lot of benefit, right? So I have a long-term perspective on what bi-directional means. Mm-hmm. But I've seen, I've seen bad partnerships where it just drains one particular party mm-hmm. because it's really unidirectional. And all you're doing is giving, giving, giving. I mean, there's a lot of energy. Like, whatever we put yeah. out there it has to come back. It has to. <laughs> So um, that's what I would say is the difference between a good partnership and a bad partnership. And we've been really fortunate, and Bested has been really fortunate to, to have good partners. Um, and so we just look forward to kind of keeping that, keeping that up. Yeah, that's uh, that's critical. You dropped some a lot of a lot of value, and the reason I even brought that up because I was at a conference last weekend, and there was a, a, a executive for for Coca Cola, and then the Coca Cola has an procurement executive, and they spend like a billion dollars in procurement, a lot of money, and and then twenty percent of that has to go to minority businesses. But he said the problem with a lot of minority businesses was a lot of times there'll be a hundred small minority owned companies that pitching ten thousand uh, dollar contracts, but he said. I don't have the time and the resource to look through all those contracts. Like I'd rather spend a $10 million contract and do that or a $100 million contract and do that. 
than that he said well a lot of y'all companies do the same things y'all have to partner or find some way to, to work with each other so that mm. you can pitch me 10 20 million so that i can really spend my time and resources on that rather than everybody that, that has a marketing company pitching me ten thousand dollar contracts i got a hundred million dollar budget just to spend on black businesses i can't i can't look at all these ten thousand dollar contracts before we go to the future round I was reading an article and something really uh, jumped out the page for me, and I wanted you to kind of speak to it. You said that uh, one of your one of your strengths was being able to kind of understand your gaps and then fill them quickly. And I think a lot of business leaders or even just people in general in life have a hard time really assessing their gaps and then having mm-hmm. the the humility or the strength to find people that are better than them in that area to fill it. So can you briefly speak on that and and, and why that why do you say that is one of your core abilities? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I've always been praised for for being a smart. I was a smart kid, and you know, I, I went to to great schools. But at the end of the day, my parents always told me, "You you still have a long way to go. You will always have a long way to go. So don't ever think you're like just like at the top chilling, because that's just not how it is." Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that I had that perspective. You know, as I charged through my life, I always knew that. I didn't have all the answers. I was going to have gaps. Um, and one of the things that that I realized is that people will actually tell you what your gaps are if you're willing to listen and be receptive to feedback. And that was one of the that was probably one of my biggest strengths in corporate America. Um, you know, I was I had very very big jobs. I moved up the ladder very quickly. But I also have very candid conversations and people were very frank with me and very honest with me about what my gaps were. Isa, this is something you need to work on. If you don't do this, you're not gonna get here. If you don't do X, you're not gonna get you know Y or Z. And, and so I will always take that. I think it goes back to kind of men, the mentorship and the ability to listen very well um, and be kind of critical of yourself and just know that even though you've come a long way doesn't mean that you know, you're just, you're at the top because that's just not the case. We all have so much growth to do every single day and it's our job to, to continue to push ourselves um, to achieve that. And so, um, you know, when, one thing that I realized is that, you know, whatever in whatever situation I was in, I was addressing my areas of development, which is euphemism in corporate America for your weaknesses, mm-hmm. um, you know, very quickly, very iteratively. And it was like, okay, boom, on to the next thing. Um, and so kind of, it's going outside of, of corporate America where you're you're in a startup and you don't have the resources that you once had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, it, I really relied on a lot of my mentors to even say to me, this is a gap in your business or this is a gap in, you know, your leadership. Um, and I, I welcomed that feedback. And one piece of feedback that I've gotten from a lot of my mentors and sponsors was that they they find they found me to be much more receptive to feedback than the average person in my life stage, mm-hmm. and I, I always thought that was a little strange. I was I thought I was like, well, everyone should be receptive to feedback, but they said it's actually not as common as you know. It's not common. I'm just gonna say it's not. <laughs> it's, but I encourage it so much, Greg, because I'm telling you, like hands down, it has really been the fuel for my growth. Um, and in my acceleration through through life and my career. Oh man, that's some jewel after jewel after jewel. I can't wait to kind of trans- <laughs> transcribe this show and the, and the, the pretty it all up because I mean, there's a lot of takeaway nuggets that I definitely think our audience can uh, can grab from. So the transition into our last round, and we're going to talk about the future. So I know you briefly talked about it, but in 2016 and beyond, what is the future for invested with the E? <laughs> invested with the E. Um, you know, in 2016, we 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 were you know conceptualized and launched, mm-hmm. um, and the the future is really now those initial replications in other markets um, where we'll grow. We want to be you know like you said, like you alluded to earlier, cognizant of building the right partnerships, building the right um, support in the communities, and not just our community that we're in now, talking the Raleigh Durham area, but in, in broader communities. We want to be um, and be on the path to becoming um, the the key kind of empowerment tool for local communities, um, the key connecting tool for local communities. So setting ourselves on that path is what we are focused on um, in, in 2016, doing it right and doing it well. 
that's say no more say no more and what is the <laughs> and what is the long long term so say if everything which went right for him that's it for the next 20 years have you had a chance to say what would that look like um not not other than being the household name for local impact <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah but, like that's um, something small like that's huge i like it i like it <laughs> But no, I haven't thought about like what that you know means from a from a company perspective yet. Because I think we've honestly been just so focused on just executing so well, um, and and doing it right. So you know, in twenty years, I, I, I I'm I'm not sure what that means for for a company perspective. But like I said, we really want to drive towards being that that household name for for local impact. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And when it's and I hate to go from from a hundred to zero real quick, but um, when it's all said and done, how would you like to be remembered, you personally? How would I like to be remembered? Um, I would like to be remembered as as a person that was innovative, but open minded and compassionate. And I think that's kind of combined in my science side with a little bit of my finance side and my personal tragedy and my personal story, honestly. Um, I think that a lot of times you may not get all in one and I just think that it's so powerful and that's really what I aim to, to be every day. Um, innovative, just thinking outside the box, open-minded, being open to different people, different ideas. I, I pride myself on that. I pride, you know, my team is that. The people I bring around me are that. Um, and compassionate because I'm telling you, Greg, like it's been so touching to me personally being so close to these local nonprofits that have such amazing stories mm -hmm. um, to tell. And, and I mean, I, I, I could just like cry and go on and on about the, this, the stories and the impact that these people have had. And so, um, you know, being able to, to kind of embody all three of those things, that's how I would love to be remembered. Oh man, that's uh if you remember in that case, that's that is a uh, that's definitely a true definition of a trailblazer and um before we go to the last the culture change round, which is the rapid fire, I would I I do want to ask for 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 anybody out there that's listening or yeah, so you can kind of give a message for anybody out there that's listening that wants to like how can we support or how not support cuz support sound like something cuz how can we engage and invest say if we have our own nonprofit or if we are just millennials looking to to to, to give back in a, in a in a way that we understand where it's going like what are some things that we can do to uh engage and invest it well i would definitely encourage everyone to check out our website so it's www.investedwithae.org um and what we have on there are our contact forms um with you know, people, just people that are in other markets who want to be notified when we come to their markets, nonprofits that are in other markets, or even here um, that want to be notified when we come to their markets or want to be notified when we do our next onboarding event in Raleigh-Durham. And, and through our website, you know, people can find our, our social media pages um, and, and other things as well. Got you, got you. So I guess the key takeaways is just go to the website, follow the social media pa social media page. And if you're not in the RDU, if you're listening and you're not in the RDU area, and this sounds like a platform that wow, this could it can change the way you give and enlighten you enlighten you on nonprofits that are in your community. Definitely, it just I looked at it. All it takes is your name, email, your location. So to get that conversation started, so I'll definitely make sure to put that in the show notes for our listeners. And Greg, the one thing, the, the last thing I want to mention is that for people that have iPhones, mm -hmm. I would say download the app. Check it out. Um, you know, one thing that we, we do is we consolidate, you know, feedback. We hear a lot of great positive feedback and even some constructive. And so, um, you know, it, we're, we're live in the app store now and we also have a web app too. So people can create profiles and, and go take a look at what we're doing. Oh, definitely. I'm going to download it right now. Okay, cool. So, 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 this is the last round, the most exciting round, the round I call the culture change round. So, I have five questions and rapid fire. And uh, you ready to go? I'm scared. No, I'm <laughs> nah, scared. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, the best piece of advice that I ever received. Oh boy, I guess it's not rapid fire, huh? <laughs> not um, fire. 
I don't I don't want to belabor the point, Greg, but I think that one of the best pieces of advice of advice that I've received is is really around the, the value of determination and hard work. There are a lot of obstacles that come up and they, they've come up before and they, and they will continue to come up through, throughout life and just pioneering and navigating that um, and just kind of never losing your determination. And I, like I said, it's really simple, but when you're kind of knocked down, it, it's hard to kind of lose sight of that. Yeah, that's all we need, that's all we need. What is one of your personal habits that you can attribute to your success? Um, one of my personal habits uh, that I would attribute to my success is probably playing the piano. So I'm a classical pianist of 25 years. Um, and I would say that piano has kept me balanced. And I think that everyone, because life just gets so busy and your day-to-day -day gets so busy, um, you need your outlet. <laughs> you need, whether it's working out, whether it's, I don't know, singing, whatever the case is. But for me, you know, I'm a classical pianist. And wow. that's what I do. I have a music studio in my house that I just, you know, go into to kind of de de disconnect from the world. Um, and so that's 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 a strong personal habit of mine that I think has attributed to my success because I've been able to stay balanced and and you know keep perspective. Goodness, what do you not do? You play the piano. You can you can go in the lab. Be a chemist. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's 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 amazing. That's amazing. What is your favorite book and why? At the risk of sounding a little goofy, I would. My favorite book is Harry Potter. <laughs> oh man, that's a class. What I used to read them books in like uh, a seven hundred page book in two days. I know it was. It's so addictive. But like, to, <laughs> I, 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 I think J.K. Rowling is like such a phenomenal author and storyteller. <laughs> um, and you know, even though it's 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 fiction. There's some really interesting kind of lessons and stories within like the long, mm -hmm. the long kind of complex story. So I, I really enjoy it. And like I said, I, you know, I have a, a serious kind of I work super hard side, but I have a, a goofy, like playful, you know, and just relatable side to me too. And I, I love Harry Potter. Oh, wow, I think you will be the only person, and probably the only person ever, to say that. But uh, <laughs> uh but I, I love it. I love it. I'm a huge fan. J.K. Rowling. Shout out to Harry Potter. Um, what inspires you the most and keeps you motivated? What inspires me the most is the impact that Invested is having on the local communities. And, you know, it keeps me motivated because I think that the impact, we're only, we've only touched the tip of what we can do um, and the impact that we can have. And so, um, you know, one thing I've realized kind of coming into the local community, being entrenched with them, um, is that there's so many people that have made like immense sacrifices to do what they do every day. And a lot of, I've we met several nonprofit leaders that aren't even taking a salary. They're living off of savings because they believe in, you know, this mission to support vets or this mission to feed the homeless so much. And, you know, being able to empower them to do what they do best, um, that that's just been so touching and so just heartfelt to me. So um, I would say that that's, definitely inspires me and um, it keeps me motivated and I, I couldn't answer this question also without you know just mentioning my dad mm -hmm. who came over was an immigrant from the islands made a better life for himself and you know always just reinforced to me that with great blessings comes great responsibility and I, I just try to live to that every day man love it I love it and the last question is ground before we answer to our last last question is if you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? I would um, invite you and all your listeners to a dinner. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, that's, that's a really big job. And I think that with any big job, it's so important to just kind of get in and level set and understand the environment, understand kind of the status quo, what 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 things are, are happening, why things have happened, things like that. So, you know, besides inviting you and your listeners to, to, to dinner, I would just say just really trying to get in and absorb everything and understand and level set because I, I think it's also one of those jobs where you're, you don't know how difficult it is until you step in it and sit in the seat. 
Yeah, say say it. Preach that, preach that, preach that. So um, I call myself the culture change agent. And the last question of every episode is directly around that. So if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? If I had to change one thing about society um, and about our culture, I, I think, you know, I would love to see the playing field leveled for for African-Americans, but also for other minority groups. I think that, you know, our science shows that our brain cannot contain but so much information. So what we try to do is pocket pocket things and, and, you know, bucket things. Um, and so that engenders a lot of, you know, stereotypes when someone walks into the room and they look a certain way or they talk a certain way or they're of a certain sexual orientation, whatever the case may be. But um, I think that, you know, as as an African-American woman, one of the things I've, I've, I, I've had to do is, is not just work hard to meet my goals, but work beyond those goals to kind of keep my momentum. Um, and I think that, you know, as a society, we we can do more for the African-American communities and other minority populations if we level the playing field and kind of get rid of a lot of the the preconceived notions and, and you know, not prejudices, but, you know, the assumptions that we have about a person based on their physical features. Hey, man, and, um, I definitely think you're doing a good job in your own lane of, of helping and not only saying that, but living by that and by being the woman and leading the business that your company uh, is doing. So I would like to say before we wrap up the show, thank you so, so much for giving an hour of your time because I, I am a part of the No Free Time movement. And so thank you for for allowing over an hour of your time to our listeners and taking out your schedule when you could be out there fundraising and doing stuff that's really going to change everything else. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me, Greg. This is this has been a lot of fun. No problem. Before I end, I have uh, I would say I think you already mentioned it, but for the last time, um, could you please share where we can find everything about you, about invested with the E online and whatnot, and uh, then I'll end it out. Yeah, so people can find uh, more about Invested on our website, www.invested.org. Um, scroll to the bottom, there are socials there. You know, feel free to reach out to us. We have our contact forms there. And for people who have, you know, iPhones or iPads, download the app and, and you know, help us, you know, help you do your part to transform the community. Help us help you. I love it. I love it. I love it. So Minority Trailblazer Nation, you heard it from the lady herself. Please go download the app. Please visit the website and please let's get involved in changing the community where we're at in the community. So y'all already know how I always end. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to another hour plus long episode of the Minority Trailblazer podcast because you know we do long form. So thank y'all so much. And like I always do it, like I always do it, like I always do it, I need you to do one thing. What is that one thing, Greg? That is change the culture. Good night. Boom. <laughs>